talk about tonight. So it is Alan and I, we've got two slots tonight and tomorrow night. We're going to sort of do a slow burn uh, next Friday. Thanks. Nobody else noticed. At least you're listening. Thanks a lot. Uh, so it, tonight, it's going to be more like a slow burn into, into what, what we want to talk about. Um, and so the theme of the year is, is, is building well. Like Ephesians 2, um, verse 22, I think that's our theme scripture for the year, which says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so, thinking, he doesn't want to work sometimes. He doesn't like me. Thanks a lot, man. And so, you know, Lizelle and I, and actually our family, have been talking a lot about, about growth and, you know, as a church, where, where should we be moving into? I mean, we've got this great location. There's so many areas we would love for the church to have a greater impact, uh, whether it's just you know, evangelizing this neighborhood, but also being involved with community projects um, and, and make a difference, trying to understand how Jesus would, would have impacted you know, our community if he was here with us. But in thinking about how to grow and how to move and what we need to change, um, we thought, well, maybe we should go back to the source, right? Because it's in Him, it's in Jesus that we grow. It's Him that makes us grow. So, going back to the source, and the real source of the source is, um, is, is the, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm not going to try and go through the whole Sermon on the Mount tonight. Uh, you'll be pleased to, to know because that will probably be a few weeks sitting here. Um, so, so that's why I say it's sort of a slow burn. And I understand after we've decided to do this, I understand next year, early next year, we're going to actually do a lot more on the Sermon on the Mount. So what I want to do is sort of take a lead into what is, what is all this about? Um, so, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is 107 verses in Matthew. It's quite a lot. And a lot of people look at that, and I think the scholars probably agree, and we've got Chris here, so I've got to be careful what I say, and he's going he's gonna to correct me when I'm wrong. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> and, but I think what people believe is that the sermon was, it wasn't one sermon. I mean, this is so much information, probably not done in one sitting. And in fact, it starts by Jesus saying, when he saw all the people, he went and called his disciples, and he sat down and he spoke. And so there's a lot, a lot in that imagery. Uh, the rabbis of the days, they didn't preach like this. When they had something important to say, they sat down and they taught. So Jesus sitting down, speaking to his disciples, indicates that when he started the Sermon on the Mount, um, it was something really important. And looking at the content, it's really condensing you know, Jesus' doctrine. So there's a few you know, scholars have, have given it some names, the Sermon on the Mount. Mount is called Compendium of Christ's Doctrine, or the Magna Carta of the Kingdom, or the Manifesto of the King. It sounds all grandiose, but it is an incredible, an incredible, you know, just piece of scripture, collection of scriptures. And for us to go back to that, to connect to that source, to what Jesus has taught us, and really see how, how that, you know, that can transform and change us. Um, so, you know, that, that was Jesus' instructions. Pardon. Question is for you. 
Yeah. Anyway, sorry guys. So, where does it start? It starts with the Beatitudes, right? So we, we know the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, the, you know, the, the, those who are hungry and thirst, you know, those who show mercy, those who are persecuted. And so we want to start, we want to sort of, if we had time, we would, we would love to go through all the Beatitudes. And actually we plan to do the first three tonight. And as we sort of compared notes today, we realized well, that's a crazy, insane task. There is so much about this. And so leading into Beatitudes, I think it's important to understand what does it mean. You know, we, we read these words and sometimes we don't really understand it. That, that it doesn't have practical meaning to us. But when it says blessed are, you know, the Aramaic for that ashere uh, means, oh, the blessedness of. So there, that are doesn't actually exist. And that the word means that it is blessed. You already, and the blessedness, the Greek, is, is sort of a, the word there, the makarios, is, is like a godlike um, you know, joy. This incredible happiness, this thing that's come from inside that's just bubbling over. Um, and so the important thing of the, of the fact that, you know, what, what the sharing means, the blessedness of, it's a celebration of what we already have. It is, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement that we already have it. And I think for a long time I thought that if I look at the Beatitudes, I would be blessed if I excel in being poor in spirit. I'll, I'll, I will get blessings. Yeah. I will be blessed in some time in the future if I do all these great things. And it's no, no, we need to understand that it is, it is the, blessed, the blessings we have already. It's this incredible joy we have already. It's not, it's not some vague prophecy of a future bliss. It's something that we get now. Um, now I have to see which one's going to work. Uh, so so, so the, the, the interesting thing about the, the Greek for this, the Makarios, uh, the Cyprus is, was called uh, Hey Makarios. Makaya, um, sorry, the female version, and, uh, and it means the happy iron. And so the reason why they called it that is that, that Cyprus is this abundance, this little island full of abundance. And it's just so amazing to be there, this incredible happiness to be there because you didn't have to go anywhere else to find happiness. There's nothing you lack when you're there. And that's how the Greek looked at it. And it's a nice, it's a nice picture for me because that is the kind of blessedness that God blesses us with. He fulfills us. He makes us whole and complete. We don't need to look anywhere else for this, for this joy. Right, so this one is not working either. Oh, there it is. Okay, great. So, is that, it's an, explic an inexplicable joy independent of chances and the changes of life. Something we have now, which comes out of our walk with Jesus. Through, through having an intimate you know, walk with Him, with His understanding, His presence, being in His presence. This is that, that produces this incredible joy in our lives. So, so as it, the attitudes start, you know, Jesus is about to impart his, you know, the Magna Carta for, for the Kingdom. He's going he's gonna to explain to them exactly how they are going to go and change the world. And it's an incredible thing to think, you know, but what, was, what is our, our image that's, that's, that's produced when we think about this momentous occasion? Maybe, maybe this picture comes up. <laughs> right? <laughs> William Wallace, you know, what did he say? 
They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, you know. <laughs> and so it's, you know, is this a picture? You know, if, if I wrote that script, I would have thought, great, you know, rah, rah, get everybody up and just like, we are the champions. You know, maybe Henry V, is that coming up? No? Nope. Press it once. There you go. Here you go. You just got to press it cleanly. Don't hold it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's complicated. Okay. So you know, Henry first. You know, we few, we happy few. You know, and it's it's amazing. You know, that is that is a picture that we get. But Jesus starts by saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." It's <laughs> always what? Excuse me. That's how you're going to start this incredible. You know. You know, this incredible task of, of changing the world. But I think that is exactly the point. Because we want to rely on our strengths. We want to gather all the clever people around us. Right? What do we do? We read all the books to help us think right. We want, to, we want to have the knowledge. We want to have the strength. We want to have the capabilities. And Jesus is tearing all that down completely. You know, so when it says poor in spirit, what does that word poor mean in Greek? There were two words for poor. The one was somebody that doesn't have much and has to work for a living, a subsistence farmer, for instance. The other word is a beggar, somebody that has absolutely nothing and is destitute. Guess which word Jesus used here? It's the latter. It's not, it's not we need God, it's we have nothing. We are nothing and we are What's the word? We, 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 there is, there we, have, we are completely hopeless without God. We are completely helpless without God. And so to imagine, to try and understand that picture, and to get that, that picture clear in our minds, you know, is, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is our view of ourselves? What, how do we see ourselves? What is our condition? Do we see it like a joint venture? And we are sort of the smaller company? And God is the bigger company, and you know I've got something to offer, but He's got a lot more to offer. You know I've got you know, here's, here are my assets, and yes, I need some goodness, and I need some grace, and I need some forgiveness, and I need some mercy, and lots of love. But is that how we approach it? In reality, it's like a company that's got zero assets, zero cash, and millions and billions of pounds of debt coming together with a company that's got everything. You know. Why would that company want to merge with this other company? But it's a silly example maybe, but, but how do we look at ourselves? Are we asking God just to supplement what we already have? Or are we before God with nothing? Do we come to God with nothing? And the question why I'm asking that is, is what, would, what would that produce in us? If we approach God with this attitude of complete poverty in our spirit, you know, it says that blessed are the, are the poor in spirit because there is the kingdom of heaven. That, that is the only door into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, not, it's nothing else. It's only when we're poor in spirit. Because what does it produce in us? A deep need for God. A, an absolute understanding that, you know, if God doesn't produce these things in me, I won't, I won't be able to do it. If we look at the rest of the Sermon of the Mount, Right? You know, love your enemies. If somebody takes your cloak, give them another one. If somebody slaps this cheek, give them another cheek. Uh, if we look at those things, guess what, guys? I don't know how many of us can actually live that way. Who of us can fulfill 
you know, and, and, and follow those, those commands out of, us, out of our own. No, we can't. And the thing is that we will fail because we are not up for the task in ourselves. You know, and so how, how, how aware are we of our inadequacy and do I need God or do I need Him to help me? So take a moment and think about that. Do I need God or do I just need His help? And to, to strip it down completely and see ourselves naked before God with nothing else. Mm. And that desperate need for Him. Because that is where it needs to start. That is the foundation. You know, and we, you know, a lot of us have been around in the kingdom for a long time. I know for myself, we, we, you know, we see, for, we, we know for ourselves, I know for myself is that, you know, we get used to all these things around us and we understand how to, you know, read our Bible or get something out of that and, you know, study the Bible with somebody and share our faith and look after the poor. But it can become quite ritualistic, right? And what happens along the line is we start forming sort of a picture. You know, Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to life. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. The question is, are we carving out a different path along the line for ourselves? So a path that makes life just that bit much, just a bit more manageable, right? How much control are we taking back from when we all when we were baptized? We knew that we had really nothing. We knew that we were sinful riches and we absolutely need God. And then we start living that out, and it's all fresh and it's new. But then as we go along this path, we sort of carve out broader and broader for ourselves. And I'm just calling us to think about that and to, and to, to, to tear it down back to that point where we are just so aware of our need for God. Right. I'm going to ask Zell to come and share a few thoughts. Jesus starting with such a humble thing, to be poor in spirit. And um, what does it look like for us? You know, I think I just love his parables and the parable of the tax collector and the um, Pharisee just um, came to my mind. And um, it's two guys going to one place, the temple, praying to one God, but coming from two such different perspectives. You know, the Pharisee came and he said, um, thank you that I'm not like this one and that one and this one and this evildoer. And I, he, he came and he actually, he tried to bring things to God. He was saying how good he was and not really with a heart of, I need God or this is what I need from God. He was just saying, this is how good I am and this is, you know, what I have to give. And he was very happy where he was at. He didn't feel like he needed any motivation to change anything in his life. And um, I don't think if, um, you know, how relatable would he have been to talk to if you confessed your sin to him, if he was your friend, you know, maybe he would have really judged you. 
And that's, that's how his heart was. With um, the tax collector, he came to Jesus and he didn't even want to come near the temple. He didn't look up. He was just beating his breast and he was saying how much he needs God's mercy. He didn't bring anything there. He came stripped naked with his heart in his hand and just that is what he offered. That is what he had. But he realized, the thing is that he realized how big God was and how small he was and how much he needed was. He realized how poor in spirit he was. Um, it, it also, yeah, we can't stand and, you know, bring other people's sin to God, to Jesus when we pray. You know, like in our marriages, sometimes we pray, it's good to pray for husbands, don't get me wrong, but if you feel like, oh, my husband needs to change this, God help you not to be like this and not to be like that and whatever. You know, I think for a long time I felt I prayed like that until I realized that this is not right. You know, I should pray for my heart. How can I feel quite powerless in this situation? How, what can I change? I can only change my own heart. I can't change my husband's heart or my friend's heart or whoever I'm praying for. So I need to take responsibility for my sin and just that is what I can change. And that is the kind of heart that the tax collector had. He was, he wanted to change. He realized where he was at and um, he knew how much he needed God's grace. The other thing that I was thinking about that's also a great example is David. When David had to fight Goliath, he didn't stand there. He was young. He didn't come out and say, okay, great, I've got this armor on, and I've got this nice sword, and I've got this, and I've got that. I'm sorted. I'm going to kill this giant. He didn't even think about himself. The only thing he had in his mind was how big his God was. And the giant that he could see in front of him a lot bigger and stronger than him, but he, he didn't even look at that and felt intimidated because he truly understood how big his God was. And in his heart, his faith was that big because he also trusted God because he understood exactly who God was. And uh, yeah, I just think um, a lot of times, you know, we don't realize that being poor in spirit is that is the that is when we realize how big God is and how small we are and how much in need we are. That is the point where we can start growing. Mm -hmm. If we don't realize that, we you know we cut ourselves off from God's grace and He's uh, the way that He can lead us. So it's I just realized that it's very important to bring your own heart in front of God and not to stand before God. Um, blinded by the shadow of this, you know, other, the sins in other people's hearts. So, you know, this Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, we, can, we can also be those that say, oh, thank you God that I'm not the Pharisee. Thank you God that I, that I do pray for my sin. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we can get so twisted. You can so easily twist it to thinking that, yeah, I'm a disciple now, I'm not a Pharisee anymore. And then, 
still miss the point, still, still not being poor in spirit, still thinking that that now gives me some sort of ability and whatever it is, it's just to try and get back to God and God alone. You know, so the, the, this, is, this is the key to absolutely everything, right? And, and, and the very act of admitting my weakness and poverty, in that, in that act where I admit my weakness and my poverty, God makes me rich and gives me strength. Right? And so this is something that we need to practice on a daily basis. Go back to God. Be, be, be open about where we are really. And then we're going to take it a step further, right? We're going to go and be that honest with one another. Who are we really? How do we really feel about this? How do we, how do we really feel about coming to church? How much of a burden is it? How do we really feel about giving to the poor? How do we really feel about sharing our faith? How do we really feel about dot, dot, and dot? How honest are we really? Or are we just following some sort of form of religion? That sort of, we've done it now for so long, it's now become a habit. It's now what we do. This is now what we do on Friday nights. This is now what we do on Sundays. This is what we do once a week or so with a family group. This is now just it. That now defines us, what we do. And so, let me just see how far I've wandered off actually what I actually wanted to say. <laughs> right, so... I think that's important to know, you know, looking at Jesus' scripture, looking at, this, at, uh, at the teachings and the standards, is that we will fail. We will fail. Out of our own, we do not have enough commitment, enough conviction, enough determination to live this life. We do not have it. If we feel we do, I put it to you that you're probably not living it. <laughs> because if you look at what Jesus taught and he said he's bringing a sword, he's not bringing peace. He's bringing a sword. He's going to divide people. Jesus' teachings are radical. But what do we do? We rationalize a lot, don't we? We read all sorts of psychology books, and I'm not saying those are wrong. But how many of those principles sort of nullify what Jesus is teaching in these, in, on the Sermon on the Mount? You know, just think about it. I'm not saying, I'm not thinking of anything specifically, but how much rationalization do we do? And I had to think... A little bit as well recently you know I had to think what what's what what's really going on in, in, on in my life you know so I want to just share a little bit you know, take a minute or two I'm just thinking about it and this result obviously is great it's instrumental in helping me you know get into these points but you know if I look at my life I'm pretty busy in church I'm busy with a lot of stuff, organization, worship, blah, 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 leading people, leading, you know, all that stuff, you know, and um, not, doing, not doing a whole lot for myself, you know, I have to admit, you know, so my, a lot of my free time goes into doing stuff for church, and I am telling myself the whole time, I'm doing this, I love to do it, and I think that is true, I don't feel, I just do it, I don't feel burdened, but then the question is, how much am I praying? How much time am I making for God? How much am I praying with my wife? And how much am I actively leading my family spiritually? And those last few points, kind of I put, put crosses against and not ticks. And that really started, started me to think, it's like, why am I doing this? How pointless this is, you know? How unbelievably pointless. And so for myself, I had to think, oh my goodness, this, 
I need to strip all this back. I need to strip it down. A while back, I, I, I wrote something and I read it once in church, and I'm going to do it again. And now just close your eyes and just listen to what I'm saying now. When you strip down your everything, all that you have, your spouse, children, family, friends, your career, position, dreams, plans, ambitions, your houses, your cars, your gadgets, clothes, and stand naked before the Almighty God, all that remains is you, your sin, God's grace and His immeasurable love for you. Then we can do nothing but be humble, grateful for the mercy and grace that defines us. And I want to call us to a relationship with God where God's love and His grace defines Amen. us. Not what we do, not what other people think of us, not what we have achieved, but only God. And so the, the, the Beatitudes is trying to do that. That is what Jesus tried to do. He tried to break down everything that we built our lives on. Break it down so that He can build us up. We want to build well. We want God to build us well. Guess what? We have to tear down the old ruins, these little towers of Babel that we have built ourselves. You know, what when Malachi 3 talks about, we spend so much time fixing our paneled houses. What about God's house? How much of our life is about us? How much is about God? And so the next, the next two Beatitudes specifically, you know, it's really great. And, you know, I can encourage you to maybe get a, uh, a commentary on, on this because, you know, it's just a few sentences in the Bible. But if you unpack this, this is so rich, so incredibly rich. Um, and do a, do a study for yourself, just to be attitudes, follow, follow them through into the Sermon on the Mount because I think there's going to be a lot, big focus for us next year. Um, but if you, if you look at those three, those three Beatitudes, from, from being poor in spirit, the next one is mourn. Mourning. Once we, are, we first have to be poor in spirit to see who we really are, then we notice our sin. And when we contrast that with God, and we see what it did to Him on the cross, then we can mourn. And once we've mourned for our sin, and we are broken, then we can be meek. And meekness is the most powerful thing that a human being can have. That is where a person is in complete and total control of God. His emotions, his impulses, his instincts, his dreams, his visions, his thoughts, his mind, his strength. It's all controlled by God. But it's a progression. And it all starts at the foundation of being completely poor in spirit. And I feel so excited about taking this journey on. But again, it's a narrow path. Are we going to stick to the narrow path? Are we going to start carving out a more comfortable way along the way? Maybe we have already. Let's get back to the narrow path because that's where the blessings are, where the real joy is, where God is, and where He's going to and lift us up and inspire us. Thanks a lot for listening. Oh, sorry, Francois. Please. <laughs> I left time for Francois. Oh, so, Francois, please come and share some things.
and I just did that you've learned and you know, we'd love to hear you know, your thoughts. Um, is that okay? Um, yeah, you'll have to bear, bear with me as I try and make sense of what's going on in my head. Um, I think I have such a contrast of feelings and um, thoughts, and it feels like such a relevant topic, this whole idea of really digging into church and digging into your own uh, understanding of that. What is, it, what, what is it that you want to contribute? Is that something you're even passionate about? Is there passion there? Uh, have I become religious? Have I become used to something? Um, that's been so relevant for me. Uh, but yeah, this idea of um, being poor in spirit sort of feels like one of the things that is at the core of all of this. And there's a sense of real like self-responsibility in that. You know, I think with that, it, it can. I think it's just important to say that I think with as this conversation of, of church and change is coming up more often, I think throughout. Um, I think, yeah, throughout maybe a, a lot of the churches at least. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to just um, make sure it doesn't become a task. Um, but that, yeah, I think, it, I think you're really able to be in touch with um, your core of that idea. I don't know if that makes 100% sense, but I think, yeah, I'll leave it there. Um, but I think that's the point of being poor in spirit, for example. It's really stripping down and really making it about you and God. And like we said, being naked before God. And, and just letting that connection be the driver and the motivator. But it, but it doesn't become this task of, we need to be this, or it becomes a standard of... Because I think that's when we lose touch with that, with that foundation aspect. And, and that's when we stop pouring our own passion into something and it becomes more of a habit, I guess. But I think that's when it comes into church too, and as a, as a collective group, like, do, you know, that's, I think when we're able to be in touch with that as individuals, the church becomes a place that collectively, everyone is just pouring passion into it, and naturally it becomes a place that just, if you were to look at the fruits of the Spirit, for example, that just flows from it. Um, you know, so I think that aspect of it, just the church and us being individuals that just come together for the sake of church or, um, you know, us coming together to, to actually be united in our view of God. I think when we're in touch individually, that's when we get to collectively be in touch and we see a, a sense of responsibility as a group and not even a sense of responsibility, but maybe it's more just that we really gain a desire as a group to just go on our knees before God and be humble before Him. Um, yeah, I mean, when my parents asked me to share, it was hard to know what to say. So I think I'm going to try and keep it simple. Forgive me and, and don't judge my thoughts. <laughs> and I may have no impact, but I think the fact that we're talking about this idea is really cool. So I, I'll just ask from the beginning that you go home and you try and make that idea your own. What do you think you can contribute or to this whole discussion of, of change as a, as a group and it being very sincere. But um, 
So of course I've moved to Sweden and uh, you know I'm in a small church, literally about eight people, and it's, it's a little mission trip in a small city, and it's very cool. And but you really see like everybody's role is so defined naturally. It's just um, you stand out. You can't go and blend in. So going there has been such a challenge because I've been thrown into situations where you know we do things together like evangelism or even just having to lead a Bible discussion or anything like that. And it can be this conflict of like having to do something, feeling like you have to do something. And so I've been in this place of being very challenged because that's not the way I want my spiritual life to look like. I don't want to have to do things or feel like I'm following someone. But I want to, but it's challenged me to really find at my core. What is evangelism to me? How, how can I, what, what, what did Jesus say it was? And what did it look like to him? And just really getting in touch with, I think, giving, being one of eight that's just giving your whole heart, but giving it sincerely. Um, you know, and then I look back at Thames Valley, and it's this big church, and maybe you start to see, or at least for me, I start to see, like, oh, maybe when we're, maybe in a bigger church, we sort of start to lose that sense, and it's a lot easier to just blend in, and to just do your own thing, and it's, you can come and go, and you can be like, I don't want to come to Christ, I don't want to come to every second Sunday, or whatever, and none of that is wrong, I don't know, it's, it's your own, but I think the point is more just that it, you don't necessarily feel that same um, desire, responsibility to come and just give and just live out your passion. Um, and again, I think so much like what I said about being poor in spirit, it's not just about being or giving, but it's really about questioning and understanding your motive. And drawing near to God, I think, which I think leads us to being poor and, and finding that desire. So we need to find, we need to understand what our motivation is. I think then it also starts a cycle. Like, you know, sincerely trying to be poor in spirit. Like leads you to just wanting to be closer to God. Being more humble before Him, which sort of reinforces that idea of just like being poor in spirit because aspects of grace and, and all these things start to come together in a much more solid way um, yeah um, but okay so I'm going to share two things two, two specific scriptures so that in this whole challenge of being, being trying to really be a part of this church in Sweden and having a very sincere trying to have a very sincere role and really finding I think my passion in each of these areas, there have been two things that have, that, that have helped me. Um, and I'll share two short scriptures and, and then I'll be finished. Um, but the first one is just, has been, a, has been really just revolved, it's really revolved around me reflecting on my relationship with God. And these are two very practical things I think anybody can do. But for me, it's been really about like reflecting on my relationship with God. Where is my relationship with God? Like, how do I feel about my relationship with God? I spent four hours the other day sitting next to a tree in the woods, literally just thinking about that and writing just a ton of stuff and praying through it because I feel really indignant about being in touch with that. Even if, yeah, it's not like your relationship with Him needs to be perfect, but I think just being able to go to Him and understanding grace and love, it, it can become so overcomplicated. But in Philippians 3... One thing I want to say is just, I think I realized that, yeah, I think for me, if the cross isn't 
if your motive isn't the cross, mm. if you can't wake up, okay, yeah, I'll say this, if you can't wake up in the morning and literally be in awe of God and Jesus mm. and him dying on the cross for you, then I think there's something fundamentally not in touch. Right. I think your I, I don't see how, yeah, I just think that's the core of where our motive should come from. You know, and so for me, it's been a lot about just wanting to know God. And Paul, has, this scripture is, has always been something that's resonated with me. But in Philippians 3 verse 10, I'll just read verse 10. You know, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. You know, out of everything that Paul achieved, his greatest goal wasn't to achieve more, to go plant more churches. Or to, he still did those things. More than I think anyone I've read about, but his goal was just to know Christ and to be in touch with his part of play in Jesus dying on the cross. So it's really simple, but it leads to a desire and a passion that is so free-flowing. Yeah. He's able to just freely give from from what his yeah from what he's gained as a passion and a desire. And so there's no task in this idea. And he goes on to, to literally lay out probably the best format or layout of, of grace and motivation coming together that, I've, that, that I know of in the Bible. I, I, don't, I think that's my go-to. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I feel guilty, but uh, grace. And I, this is the passage that I go to to bring that together for me. It just lays out this beautiful, we all know it. And he, even at the end, it's, you know, he says, that my favorite verse is just live by what you have attained. Just the idea of today I'm going to mess up and I'll learn something but then tomorrow I can put that in practice and live by what I've learned today. Um, you know, and then the next one is just the spirit. And this has become such a topic for me and I think in our, my generation. and Just the idea of, wow, have we neglected being in touch with the spirit? Have we neglected the idea? You know, like in Matthew, Jesus literally is just like, go and live by the spirit. He says to his disciples after he left and they went and they taught and they didn't have maybe the same tools we have today they just lived by the spirit they were guided by the spirit and the question for me was just like have I, have I necessarily have I neglected that in some way do I even do I know what that looks like because it can feel a bit hippie maybe you know yeah like the spirit and, but I think it's, I think the spirit is real like we actually have the spirit to rely on, and we have the spirit to guide us. I think that's that's so powerful. So I've become, I've tried to sort of, I don't have you know wisdom on that yet, but it's just a question I'm asking, and it's something that I'm I'm really looking to grow in. It's just the understanding of the spirit and how to rely on that, and how to let the spirit guide me. But I think a big motivation for that was the you know Galatians five, the fruits of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Mm. You know, I think, um, yeah, again, this essence of like, if you, if you have the Spirit, if you're in touch with the Spirit, if you rely and trust the Spirit, these, this is what will flow from you. Which literally means we don't have the Spirit. But we're not accepting it as much as we could. Because none of us fully fulfill that. Yeah. Like, that's a fact. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a bit, you know, discouraging, but I think then my thought goes here. 
we have this incredible community in this church. And of course, individually, we don't meet all of these. But I bet, as a collective group, we fulfill that. Probably together, we, we somehow come together to meet all of those needs. And so, imagine if each of us was in touch with that, with, in touch with whatever your skill in that is. Like, if you read through that, there's something there that, that each of us is probably better at than either the rest of us. If each of us was able to be in touch with God, be in touch with the Spirit, and freely, freely live out that passion or that gift, like, what would church look like? What? We don't have to focus on trying to be impactful. We will be impactful. Yep. People, if we had to, you know, talk about that, like people would would come in here and see that. God, that's a that's a promise that it says that in the Bible. We will be known by our love. I mean, there's so much more. I, I honestly could talk about this for hours. But anyway, I'll conclude. I want to keep the challenge simple, which is just each of us needs to understand the impact that God has on us. I mean by that on a personal level, really being in touch with, like Paul, knowing Christ and knowing the resurrection of Christ and what that does to us. How does that stir your heart? And I think from that, it just opens up these doors of just being closer to God, being closer to the Spirit and and. As, as a result, just being united and being closer together. Even though we're literally pope, like people of just polar opposite personalities, we have that to unite us. Um, and then, just how cool, again, I want to really reiterate that, how, you know, if we can even, I think, a fraction, if we can get in touch with that even just a little bit, collectively, just really give from that passion we feel that God at the core of it is the motive. I think there's something so cool to me about that. Amen. Yeah, I hope that made sense. But yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks, uh, Rudy. Thank you, Lucille. Thank you, Francois. Um, some really good stuff. I think um, we have nothing now, God. No, it's a really cliche-based sort of thing, but thank you for reminding us So really we don't bring anything with us. Really great to be reminded of that. <coughs> and uh, I think we've really got to think more seriously perhaps about your point about <coughs> what the Spirit gives us. And the Spirit is the Spirit. Anyway, it's too good.